Good evening, everybody. <laughs> well, we have been in our series, Letters from God, as Pastor Sheldon said, and we've been in that the last three weeks will be 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And I'm so excited tonight that I get the final concluding message because I get three of those six verses. You get to hear about three of those six verses tonight. And the second reason I'm excited and feel privileged to get to share tonight is because years ago, when I graduated from college, this Life Pacific College, which was called Life Bible College back then, every graduating class <coughs> chose a name for their class. And guess what mine was? Living Epistles. And so I thought, oh, I'd like to speak on that series because that's what we wanted to be as our class. We wanted to be that letter from God, that living epistle that went out to the world and did things, ministered not in our own power, but in God's power. So tonight, um, I wanted to first of all say that given the title tonight is a little pressure-filled. It's called God-Given Competency, which means... I get to talk about competency. Do you know how pressuring that is? <laughs> but we're going to give it a shot. So um, to, um, I wanted to tell you, though, first of all, that um, God-given competency doesn't have anything to do with our training or our education. We knew way back when, when we called ourselves the Living Epistles, that it was going to take more than four years of college and a college degree to be effective for Jesus. And I think my first assignment, my first ministry assignment, really taught me that. I got to go be on staff at a church in Eugene, Oregon. And that first three years, or excuse me, first two years I was there, the church tripled in size. And I was a children's pastor, and I had over a 1,000 children through sixth grade. Not because of me, I want to tell you that. I think they thought I was brain dead those first two years, and it took me two years to realize that I couldn't depend on my education. I could only depend on him because it isn't about what we can do, is it? It's about what he can do. So God's purposes do not depend on our training. Training is nice. Training helps. But his purposes and the fulfillment of them does not depend on training, it depends on willing hearts. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Bunny shared about an effective life, walking in our Christ-given identity. And Pastor Sheldon shared last week about God's purpose for each of us, that he has a purpose for each of us and that we are all full-time ministers for him. We are his letter to the world. We have all been called to share his love, to show this world Jesus. So tonight, we're going to talk about God-given competency. The last two weeks, it's who you are, and now tonight, we're going to talk about how we can fulfill that. So I'm trusting that the Lord tonight is going to speak very specifically to, to all of you, but I know that during this evening, God's going to speak some very specific things to a few of you, and you might want to have some extra prayer for those things. And I felt before the Lord as I was preparing the message that we needed to offer 
a prayer time and make it available at the conclusion of the service. So I'll tell you a little bit more about it later, but just keep that in mind. So how in our weaknesses and our inadequacies can we fulfill his purposes for us? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Sometimes we get called to do things we don't feel adequate before. Anybody here ever been asked to do something you didn't feel quite adequate for or you knew you were in over your head? Um, I get myself sometimes in those situations and sometimes I just get myself into things that I'm really not qualified for. About eight years ago, <coughs> I was um, working for our Foursquare National Staff, and uh, my ministry assignment concluded. And so I was between assignments, and I needed a job. And I had a friend who um, had just been hired by TSA. So first of all, does anybody here work for TSA? Oh, good. Okay, so <laughs> okay, so I thought. Why not? I think I'll apply for TSA. I like uniforms. This could be a good thing. So I went downtown Denver to the building where they were giving the tests and applying, and I walked in this office, and I was the oldest one there. And they were all so serious. Man, nobody was smiling. Nobody was goofing around. They were just real serious, and there was a guy, you know, in a TSA uniform. He looked real official. And he explained how we were going to take the test. You get two hours for the test. And the first hour, the first part of the test, that's about um, English language, uh, logic, you know, all those kinds of things. And the second part of the test, they show you some items. And I'll tell you about that in a second. So you take the test on a computer, and you go in this room, and there's all these little um, booths that you sit in, little cubicles. <clears throat> so I went and sat down at my cubicle. So the first part of the test, it was a breeze. I aced it in 10 minutes, and I had an hour to do it. So I'm looking around, you know, kind of above my cu cubicle going, hmm, is it okay if I just go to the second part? Because, you know, I got things to do. So I, um, I thought, well, let's take the second part of the test. Well, the second part of the test involved them showing you a picture of six items, and it could be like six toy cars, six cell phones, six guns, six knives, you know, six of something, and you got 30 seconds to study them, and then an x-ray picture comes up, and you have to identify what objects are in that x-ray, but the objects could be laying like this, they could be sideways, they could be upside down, you know, and you get 30 seconds to identify them. So I thought, okay, I can do this. So first of all, I kept forgetting that I only had 30 seconds. I was really enjoying trying to pick out all the items in the x-ray picture. And then I would time out, and then it'd go to the next one. I'd go, wait, 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 I think there was one more, but it, too bad. And pretty soon I just started laughing. I thought, I should have studied Where's Waldo. That's what I should have studied. So I um, was on my way out to the car, and I got a text message, and it said, Thank you for applying to TSA. Unfortunately, you did not pass the test. <laughs> now I go to the airport, and I feel so incompetent. I look at the TSA guys, and I go, you passed the test. <laughs> I passed the test. Obviously, that was not God's purpose for me. So I do feel a little incompetent in that. But before we read our scripture tonight, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Before we read, I just want to remind you 
that 2 Corinthians is one of, if not the most personal letter that Paul wrote to the early churches. And the gist of his communication to the church at Corinth is his deep concern for their spiritual growth and their spiritual progress. And he wants them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. He wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we can depend on the Lord to provide all we need to accomplish the purposes that, that to accomplish his purposes in and through us. So remember, training doesn't necessarily make you sufficient. Training doesn't necessarily make you competent in an area. So let's read, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And by the way, if you have your app, all the scriptures are on there and you can take notes. So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, um, we'll start with verse 3. Clearly, excuse me, verse 4, and we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant of the letter, not, excuse me, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the spirit kills, but the, excuse me, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So in those three verses, we understand that our sufficiency doesn't come from ourselves. No matter how many years of college you've had, no matter what's behind your name, sufficiency to accomplish kingdom things comes from where? The Lord Jesus and from his spirit. So here's the, the statement I want you to learn from this. God-given competency refers to the absolute fact that he makes us sufficient and qualified and adequate and confident by the power of his spirit. That's what these verses are talking about. So we have been called to be full-time ministers of the gospel, his letters to the world. So how do I tap into that God-given competency? How do I effectively minister the gospel? So tell yourself while we're going through these scriptures, remember, you're not just coming to church to listen to someone else teach. God has called you to be a minister of the new covenant of the gospel. And what is the gospel? The good news that Jesus is the savior of the world. He has called each of us to be a full-time minister to be Jesus to this world. So all this applies to you, not just to those of us who work on a church staff. Okay, we are all ministers of the Lord. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to talk about three essential things to know how to minister with competency. And the first one is this, know who you are in him. Number one, know who you are in him because then you can depend on him. In verse four <clears throat> of chapter three, Paul says, and we have such trust through Christ toward God. And at first I thought, oh, that means he'll never leave us. That means that he'll never leave us hanging in any situation. But actually what Paul was, and that is true, he won't leave you hanging in any situation, and he will never leave or forsake us. Hebrews 13.5 says this, we can put our trust in him. But what Paul was talking about in that scripture was that he wasn't going to rely on self-confidence. He was going to put his confidence in the sufficiency of the Spirit. Because we have been bought with a price, 
You are precious, each and every one of you, to God. Every single one of you are a special creation to him, and he bought you through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, to be his. That's why we can be confident when we know that we, are, we belong to him. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, if you want to turn there, says this. There is, excuse me, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up together, get this, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you know that when God the Father looks at you, who does he see? He sees his son. He sees his son. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He is invested in you. I have a, I had a close friend, actually, he's still my friend, but he's in heaven now, but his name was Jerry Cook, and he wrote several books, but one of the books that he wrote is called The Holy Spirit, So What's the Big Deal? And if you haven't read it, I would suggest that you read it. And Jerry, I've known him since I was in high school because actually um, our youth group used to get together with their youth group, so we're talking many, many, many years ago. And Jerry had such an influence in my life because no one I know moved in the power of the Holy Spirit more than Jerry Cook. And so in his book, he says this, Our relationship is not based on seeking his favor, but rests in the fact, in bold, big letters, the fact of his acceptance. We are now motivated by love, not driven by fear or guilt. Okay, that's what that says. And I want you to know that you are enough for what God has called you to be. Don't ever think that, oh yeah, God calls other people, but I know what I've done. I know what my family's like. I know where I come from. Don't ever think that. You have been bought with an amazing price. Jesus the blood of Jesus has made you not only free and saved, but he has made you enough. He has made you worthy to be a letter from God. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We have such trust through Christ toward God. When I um, teach leaders, one of my favorite portions of scripture to uh, read to them is out of John 15, and that's the chapter... I love kids. That's the chapter, <laughs> I do, I do, <laughs> that um, Jesus is saying, I'm the vine and you are the branches. But I love the part starting in about verse 13, and he says, no great, greater love hath any man that he lay, than that he lay down his life for his friends. And he goes on to say in, um, in verse 14, I believe, let me get to the right chapter here. Um, you are my friends. He's talking to his disciples. 
And whatever, if you do whatever I command, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all the things I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give to you. Okay, what he is saying is that we are so close and I have so shared the heart of the father with you that I can no longer call you a servant, I have to call you a friend. That's the relationship that Jesus desires for each and every one of us. As we serve him, as we grow in our relationship with him, you pass from somebody just doing something for someone to someone who is fulfilling the will of God as a friend. I have so loved you, Jesus says, that I have shared the heart of the Father with you so that you can bear much fruit. You can go into all the world and tell people about Jesus and there will be fruit because he so wants to have that close, intimate relationship with his children. Amen? Amen. I love that scripture. So <clears throat> to minister with competency, first of all, know who you are in him. Second of all, know his power. You have to know his power. Because again, it's not about our sufficiency or our competency, is it? It's about his. And going into John 16, Jesus is preparing his disciples in John 16 for the cross, for him going to the cross. And so he says to them in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. Excuse me, the wrong verse. Um, sorry, was it still in chapter 15? Chapter 16 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, that it is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Uh, <clears throat> for my, excuse me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? He couldn't even teach them all that he needed to teach them because they couldn't bear it right then. So guess what he does? He teaches them after he's gone through the power of his Holy Spirit because you will see in a couple verses here, he's called the Spirit of Truth. However, when he, the Spirit of Truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So what the scripture is talking, remember he's getting them ready for him to go to the cross. They don't know that, but he's getting them ready. And he tells that, the, that it's good for him to go because then the Holy Spirit can come. He's going to send him. And he says that the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Okay, he's the one. 
that, who uses us to show the world their need of salvation. Can we save anybody? No, we cannot, but the Holy Spirit can. Can we make anybody understand who Jesus is? It has to be by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who will convict somebody. We'd like to convict them sometimes. Anybody have anybody they'd like to say, hey, you did this, you did this, and let me tell you, I know, I've got your number. But that's not what leads to salvation. It is the Holy Spirit's revelation in a person's life. He guides into all truth because he is the spirit of truth. He will guide us and direct us. You know when you're reading the scripture and all of a sudden something comes alive to you? Who do you think did that for you? <laughs> the spirit of truth. He gives revelation of God's truth. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I have so much more to share with you. He was only with his disciples three short years. But he said, you can't bear it right now, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth. That's what he was talking about. And he says that he will glorify him. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you who Jesus is. Um, Jerry Cook again says in his book, the dove, the Holy Spirit, gently persuades. He transforms those who see and welcome him, and they begin to talk and act and love like Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He makes us become Christ-like. He makes us become someone who talks and acts and loves just like Jesus did here on this earth. Remember in Acts, okay, so then Jesus died, he rose again, and before he went to heaven, he, in Acts chapter 1, now he's getting them ready for his ascension, for him to return to heaven. And he says to them to go to Jerusalem and wait. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you will receive power to show the world who Jesus is. You shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then in chapter 2, you know, they were in the upper room. The Holy Spirit came with tongues of fire and a rushing mighty wind. And he did what we call today, baptized them in the Holy Spirit. And they witnessed to all the people around them in different tongues, whoever was there from other places. And 3,000 people got saved that day. And the church was born, and God added to the church daily. It was pretty powerful. Guess what? That's available for us right now. That's available for you right now to know that kind of power, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Sometimes we have to be reminded of that as we experience life. And even Timothy, whom Paul called his son in the faith, and he went out to... He t uh, made him go to this large church that had lots of problems. It was in the city of Ephesus. And Timothy's having a really hard time. And you know what Paul said to him in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7? He said, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And he's saying that to each of us today. He has provided the spirit of truth to guide you into all that he has for you in all he wants you to know out of his word he has given us power to be his witnesses in our local surroundings and in all the world that is for you um, 
I have a friend a uh, long time ago. Remember, I went to school a long time ago. But in the 70s, <laughs> we used to witness, go witnessing a lot. And I loved it that I was so bold back then, but I really didn't know what I was doing. I just was so on fire for Jesus, and I wanted to tell everybody about him. So we'd do our little witnessing things, and we'd go to neighborhoods, and we'd go to college campuses and all that. And I had a friend, and she was going with her husband, and I think, I think this was on a college campus, and she was really nervous because talk about not feeling confident. She was just so concerned that she didn't know enough to witness about Jesus. So she started, but she knew she was supposed to go, so she went, and there was this young man, a college student, who decided he wanted to try and trip her up and ask her all kinds of very difficult theological and doctrinal questions because he wanted to prove to her that, you know, there was no God. So he came up to her and he told her he was an atheist, and he said, so, you know, questions like, if God's a God of love, then why is there so much suffering in the world? You know, those kind of questions. And she just looked at him, and she kept eye contact, and she said, I don't know, but I know Jesus loves you. And he'd ask another question, I don't know, but I know Jesus loves you. And he'd ask another question, and this went on for like half an hour, and pretty soon he started weeping, and he received Jesus that day, because that is God-given competency. Did she go into that situation to know, it, uh, to ask that kind of question or give that kind of response? No. But because she was obedient, because she wanted to go and share Jesus with them, the Holy Spirit enabled her. Through her, he touched this man's life, this young man's life. Had she argued with him, he would have gone away feeling kind of satisfied that he tripped her up. But I don't know. I just know Jesus loves you. For every situation, God will give you just what you need to be competent to share the gospel for him. Okay, so lastly, to minister with competency, we need to surrender to him daily. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, and I know you know the scripture, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will do what? Direct your path. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. And everything daily, we need to seek his will. We can't be used by him if we're not intentional about being used by him. So seek him, seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I need you today. I need your anointing. I need your direction. I need the truth that you want me to walk in today. Remember, degrees don't make you sufficient, but a willing heart does, because it's not our sufficiency, it is his. We get to seek his will and not our own. <clears throat> Verse 6 says that he has made us sufficient and ready for the task. Why? Because the Spirit is the one who gives life. Um, Rick Warren, who is the pastor of Saddleback, I know most of you are familiar with him. He does, writes lots of books. And he says, surrendering your life means this. One, following God's lead without knowing where he's sending you. That can be kind of scary, like it was for my friend on the college campus. Waiting for God's timing without knowing when it will come. Expecting a miracle without knowing how God will provide. Trusting God's purpose without understanding the circumstances. That's a pretty tall order for us. 
it's tall order for me because I want to know what thing, what's going to happen. And sometimes we just can't. Sometimes we just have to say, Lord, use me today. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, let me be your letter to this world. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 1, chapter 1, verses 26 through 31 say this. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. That's pretty awesome. That makes me feel comfortable. Does that make you feel comfortable? <laughs> not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty are called. But God has chosen the foolish things and the things of <laughs> the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things to put those, uh, to, and the things which are despised, God has chosen that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. I love it that even in my weakness, he's made strong. I love it that when I don't know what to say or what to do in a situation, I can trust in the Holy Spirit to give me direction, to use me to touch someone else's life. Us ordinary people can do extraordinary things by the power of the Holy Spirit because he makes us sufficient. <clears throat> How many people have seen Hacksaw Ridge? Anybody here seen Hacksaw Ridge? I wanted to show a clip, but I just couldn't. <laughs> it was way too violent. <laughs> but I cried through the whole last part of it, and I thought, well, I better not show it because I'll just stand up here and cry. But the last scene, you know, the story is about this <clears throat> young man, Desmond Dawes, who was from Virginia, kind of a slight guy. And he, when Pearl Harbor happened, he, like many other boys, wanted to fight for his country. And... Um, the only problem was that he was Seventh-day Adventist, and he had vowed to the Lord that he would never kill anyone, that he would never take another life. But he thought he would join the Army in 1941. He did um, as a medic. And um, so he did that, but he refused to you know, use an, a gun or a knife or anything like that. He had his Bible, and he was a medic, and that's how he entered the Army. Well, he took a lot of flack, and that's putting it mildly. They despised him as a conscientious objector. They said, if you're ever out in the battle, don't count on Dawes because, you know, he's no good. They tried to get him to quit. He, he endured much, much persecution. Well, after a couple of years, his, um, his battalion was called to Okinawa, and they were supposed to retake uh, this bluff, it was a 400-foot cliff, and they were gonna, supposed to go up there, and there were all the Japanese were up there, and, and um, in one scene in the, at the end of the movie, it shows all of the soldiers just standing at the base of this cliff, and someone's calling, the commanding officer is calling, and he's saying, what are you guys waiting for? We're waiting for Dawes. Who's Dawes? Well, he's praying for us, and you just see this lone figure standing over there praying before they enter into battle. Well, they climbed that cliff, and there were casualties right off the bat. And he, um, I think there were about 75 men wounded at that time. 
Well, um, after the battle started going bad, and so they retreated and they climbed back down the cliff, except for Dawes. And I don't remember what his his uh, rank was, but we'll call him Sergeant. No, that's not a good one. Anyway, <laughs> he was up there, the wounded were up there, and the Japanese were up there. And so they're all down at the bottom and they're trying to figure out what are we gonna do now? And all of a sudden they see a wounded soldier being let down by a rope off the cliff. And then a few minutes later, another wounded soldier. And Desmond Dawes was going into, uh, for five hours, into enemy fire and rescuing the wounded soldiers. And he would treat them and then he would haul them to the cliff and he let them down by the rope. Then he'd go back in for more until he was shot in the arm and couldn't do it anymore. And one account said that, you know, he said he saved 50 people. The men said he saved 100, so they split the difference, and they said he saved 75. 75 men he saved by himself and received the, the Medal of Honor. So <clears throat> they asked him afterwards, you know, what were you thinking? And he said, all I could think is, Lord, help me save just one more. Lord, help me save just one more. And that gets to be our prayer. That gets to be our request before God. Lord, help me save just one more. Well, let's put away our Bibles and our notes. And before I pray, I just want to remind you that if the Lord has spoken to you this evening and you have something you would like further prayer about, maybe you want to know a little bit more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you want to just recommit your life to Jesus. Maybe you have something happening in your family or your marriage or with one of your children that you would like special prayer for. It just felt like before the Lord that he, we needed to take time tonight to do that. So when service is completed, um, feel free to come up. We have our prayer, some of our prayer team and our pastors that are going to stand up front. Please take advantage of that if, if you feel like that's what the Lord is telling you to do. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we so want to be not just people who come to church, not just people who say, I'm a Christian. Lord, we want to accomplish your will in this world. And I pray for each of us tonight, Lord, that in a very individual, personal way, you would show us how we get to be your letter to the world. Lord, we have people all around us who don't know you. And by our actions and by our words and by our love, we get to show them who you are. Empower us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Give us the strength and the competency and the wisdom, Lord Jesus, to show people their need of salvation and that you are the Savior. We thank you for that. We thank you for the honor of that, Lord Jesus. Help us to save just one more, Lord. Help us to bring people to you one relationship at a time. Precious Savior, I pray too, if someone here doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them by your Holy Spirit tonight and that you would show them how much they are loved. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this prayer time that's coming up. I thank you for the week ahead. Bless us all in your precious name.